Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Adrian Goldberg's talk show. It's frank, it's free and it's fearless. Oh yeah, it's also unfunded. So if you want to help me financially, please go to patreon.com slash Adrian Goldberg's talk show. Now, this episode features an interview with Ian Austin, the former Labour MP for Dudley North in the Black Country. Ian is still an MP. He's now independent, though. He quit Labour in February 2019, accusing the party and its leader, Jeremy Corbyn, of anti-Semitism. As you'll hear at the end of the podcast, those allegations are robustly denied. But first, Ian Austin, who explained, against the occasional backdrop of traffic noise outside his office in Dudley, why this issue has an important personal meaning for him. My dad came to the UK in 1939, at the age of 10, as a Jewish refugee from a place called Ostrava in what was then Czechoslovakia. And he was the only member of his family to survive. His mother and sisters, the last time he saw them was when they waved him off on a train. And they were murdered in Treblinka in 1942. And so I grew up listening to my dad tell me about the Holocaust, about racism and prejudice. And these were... You know, these were big themes in our family when I was growing up. I mean, he, you know, my dad set up the Community Relations Council here in Dudley. It's still going today, the, uh, the Racial Equality Council, the, um, now the Centre for Equality and Diversity, but anyway, it's the same organisation. I remember the then Labour MP actually coming to our house, just around the corner from here, um, to see my dad to talk about this. It was a big moment in the Austin household. It was, you know, it's almost like a royal visit. I don't think people have the same attitude when, uh, when I go to see them in Dudley... Uh, uh, nowadays. But yeah, look, I grew up listening to my dad talk about these issues. And I joined the Labour Party as a teenager 35 years ago here in Dudley uh, to fight racism. That was the, you know, the, I mean, you remember growing up in the Midlands yourself. The end of the 70s, the big issues of the National Front, big issues with division and racism. And as a student, I volunteered for what was then Searchlight. You know, I used to go along to meetings of the National Front. Uh, for searchlights, when sort I became, of undercover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I was, uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't want to overreg it, by some sort of James Bond thing. But you know, um, and then when I was, when, when I became an MP, the first campaign I ran was to drive the BMP. The BMP had got a councillor here, in, had had a councillor in Dudley. We had a massive campaign, knocked on every door in the ward, went and talked to people individually, directly, about these issues, um, because I was determined to, you know, to kick them out of the town. So for me, this has always been a big issue. And, uh, and I can't really believe that the values that led me to join the Labour Party have led me to leave it. So, um, you know, I'm not Jewish myself. Um, but, uh, you know, I just think it's, I think it's just unbelievable well, that this has happened. When did you first identify a problem, as you saw it then, with the Labour Party's attitude towards Jewish people? Well, look, in 2015, I was warning people about the things Jeremy Corbyn had said and done, describing Hamas and Hezbollah as friends... Uh, the sorts of people he'd worked with, extremists, people with some really appalling views. I mean, there was a Church of England vicar that was disciplined by his own church uh, for things he'd said in relation to to these issues. And Jeremy Corbyn defended him at the time. So, I, you know, I think he's had a long history, 30, 40 years on the extreme fringes of British politics, mixing with all sorts, working with and defending all sorts of extremists and in some cases anti-Semites and terrorists. And... Uh, and I thought he was unfit then to lead the Labour Party. But I could not have predicted how bad things would be. And the sort of people... I think there's a number of things that have happened. I think some, of the, some people who've always been on the extreme fringes with really unacceptable views have come into the Labour Party to support Jeremy Corbyn. 
But I think the other thing that's happened, which is really appalling, I think, heartbreaking, really, is that, is that there's now a whole load of people who, because they think Jeremy's this virtuous guy and a really good bloke, and they can't possibly be guilty of these things, so it must therefore all be whipped up and a plot and a smear to undermine him. They end up being sucked into saying some of these things themselves. And so you find people who would never have thought about these issues. Probably five years ago, wouldn't have found Israel on a map. All of a sudden, have become experts in... You know, I mean, I've had people say to me, oh, but Ian, have you not heard about the agreement between Adolf Hitler and the Zionists? I mean, as if... I mean, it is just extraordinary, I think, that... Uh, that a, a, a political party with such a proud history of fighting racism has ended up in a scandal like this. And I think, uh, I think the other thing about this is, I mean, a lot of it actually isn't to do with Israel. I mean, a, couple, a year or so ago, the sort of current crisis was triggered by the news that Jeremy defended a grotesque racist mural on a wall in East, Lon in, on East London. That had nothing to do with Israel at all. If you look at what he said about English Zionists, I mean, he was talking about Jewish people. He, called, he used the word Zionist, not understanding English irony, as if they're somehow different from the rest of us. I mean, what would, what would Jeremy Corbyn say if, uh, if Boris Johnson was caught defending a grotesque racist caricature about any other group of people? And what right does... I mean, in the House of Commons yesterday, he was criticising the Tory party for being in the same group in the European Parliament as some some political party with extreme views. Now, I, you know, I don't think that's acceptable. I think that's wrong. But what, what moral authority has the Labour Party got to criticise anybody else? I mean, I don't agree with Donald Trump. <laughs> but the idea that Jeremy's on a protest about Donald Trump's racism when we've got this problem going on in the Labour Party, I just think it's incredible. Jeremy Corbyn's supporters say that he has a lifelong history of opposing racism and of opposing anti-Semitism, the hatred of Jews. Well, I think Jeremy... I think that Jeremy, he does have this view of himself, and I think he thinks he's beyond reproach, personally. I think he's so convinced of his own personal virtue and integrity on these issues that he can't imagine there's a problem. And I think he, so he genuinely does believe he's the victim. I mean, he, he really believes he's the victim in this, and he really believes that it's all a smear and a plot um, to, you know, to undermine him. Um, and I think... I think he has, in the end, I think he has said and done things which are anti-Semitic. I think that, I think defending the mural was a disgrace. And not, I mean, he said he didn't look at it for very long. How long do you need to look at that? I mean, what, like a quick glance. And for people who haven't seen the mural, just describe it. Oh, it's a grotesque caricature of figures sort of stereotypically sort of Jewish. You know, playing Monopoly on the backs of the poor. I mean, it's, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to have a degree in sort of anti-Semitism studies or something to realise that there's something really pretty appalling about that image. I think there's a view as well on the left, oh, you know, racism's not something we do. R racism, oh, you know, racism's only, only something that those terrible right-wing Tories do. And so they genuinely think they can't be guilty of these things. And there's a sort of blind spot. When we talk about anti-Semitism, though, it, there are shades and complexities yeah. to it, aren't there? Because there is, if you like, uh, the old-fashioned <coughs> hatred of, of yeah. Jews as, as the other, yeah. just as a minority group within society. There are people then who would say that by that 
token, they are not anti-Semitic. Yeah. But nevertheless, there are some people who would take great issue with the actions of the state yeah. of Israel sure. and who would resent yeah. being called anti-Semitic yeah. Yeah. just because they oppose yeah. some of the actions of the mm -hmm. state of Israel. And then there are some people who believe that the foundation of the state of Israel was an act of colonial injustice visited upon a yeah. group of people who have themselves become victims. Is it possible to hold, in your view, any of those opinions uh, and not be anti-Semitic? I think, mean, look, you're right to say this is a complex issue. I think, look, I'm very critical of things the Israeli government does. I'm very critical of some of the actions of the State of Israel. I mean, go to the Knesset. It's the most disputatious legislature in the world. Members of the Israeli parliament are very critical of the Israeli government. Pretty much every Israeli I know criticises the Israeli government. So, of course, it's possible to criticise the actions of the State of Israel without being anti-Semitic. I want to see a Palestinian state. I've campaigned for that all my life. You know, I'm very upset about the, uh, the plight of the Palestinians. So, of course, it's possible to, be, to stand up for the Palestinians and to campaign about, against all sorts of things the Israeli government does without being a racist completely. If you're going to deny the Jewish people the right to self-determination, the right to nationhood. And if, the only and if the only country that you single out for criticism, if, 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 if there's a sort of obsession about Israel, and you're, and you're not talking about you know, human rights abuses or problems anywhere else in the world, I think really, if the only country you want to get rid of is the only Jewish country, what is it about the, the only Jewish country and the Jewish people who live there that underpins this obsession? that some people seem to have developed. Mm. So I think for some people it does tip way beyond legitimate concerns about the plight of the Palestinians. The other thing I would say about this as well, it goes way beyond, I mean, look, when you've got Jewish women MPs being threatened, having to have police protection. At, at, Luciana yeah, Berger. Yeah, or, or being told they don't have human blood, right? When you've got the speaker at a fringe meeting at a party conference saying the Holocaust, yes or no, what does he mean, yes or no? That it was right or that it happened? I mean, or when you've got senior figures in the Labour Party propagating the, the ancient myth that the Jews were the main financiers of the slave trade. These things have got nothing to do with Israel. Nothing to do with Israel. And they go way beyond sort of legitimate debate about what's going on in between Israel and Palestine. What for you then was the straw that broke the camel's back, given that <clears throat> you were aware of yeah, this yeah. and these issues have been rumbling around the Labour Party for several years. What yeah. made you decide to do something that must have been an incredible wrench for you and, and puts your, your job in jeopardy? Your job's always in jeopardy as an MP, but even more in jeopardy because you, you haven't got the backing of the Labour Party. Yeah. Why? Well, there are a number of things that led up to it. I mean, I've been really despondent about the position the party was in. I've been arguing about it and campaigning about it. And then, I, well, last year I went on a thing called March of the Living, which is a sort of five-day tour of Poland, and you go to, you start off in Warsaw, you visit the ghetto, museums, and there were, there's a, there a big group of people from the UK on this trip, and you go to sort of various death camps and so on, and it culminates in Krakow, and then you visit Auschwitz. And we were in Krakow, and I was introduced to this um, Auschwitz survivor, a guy, guy's name's Ivor Pearl, and he's sitting in his wheelchair, and I was introduced to him, and they said, oh, Ivor, this is Ian Austin, he's a member of parliament. And you think, oh, this is nice. And he looked up at me and said, which party? First words, which party? And I said, Labour. And he said, are you not ashamed to be in the Labour Party with all the anti-Semitism? Now, the truth is, I was ashamed. I was really worried. I mean, I'd, I'd been fighting and campaigning against this. But it really brought, I mean, 
in a situation like that, when someone in that, who's been through all that, says that to you, I mean, it does bring it home. And then I went on the remarkable demonstration organised by the Jewish community in Parliament Square. There's a woman called Susan Pollock. She was born in 1930 in Hungary. As a teenager, she was in prison. She was incarcerated in Auschwitz. And she survived, and she came to the UK. She's in her 90s now, and she spends all her time travelling the country, working with the Holocaust Educational Trust, talking to colleges and so on. And she came to Dudley to speak at the Holocaust Commemoration Organise. That's the first time I met her. The second time I met her was at that demonstration. This is an Auschwitz survivor on her first ever political demonstration in her life, and it's against us. It's against us. I just thought it was... I mean, how could you be in the Labour Party and not be ashamed about that? So these things were sort of mounting up. Um, and people get, you know, and I've been talking about what you might do and how we're going to save the Labour Party and all that. People kept saying to me, look, Ian, you've got to stay and fight. And I said, well, that's fair enough, but, you know, people had better start fighting. <laughs> you know, you want me to stay and fight? Start fighting. Um, in the end, I left. I mean, Luciana Berger left on a Monday. And I said to myself, look, if Luciana goes, really, you're going to have to decide whose side you're on here. Um, now, I didn't leave to walk away from the fight. I led to, sh to shine a spotlight on it and, demand and to demand that other people stepped up and did something about this. And I haven't stopped fighting. I haven't walked away from it. I'm campaigning for decency and against racism in the Labour Party all the time. Um, but it was really, that was the sort of trigger. And that was why I left. Because I wanted to shine a spotlight on what I think is a scandal. I mean, I think it has poisoned the Labour Party. It is interesting though, isn't it? Because you have a view of Jeremy Corbyn. Even his fiercest critics would say that over his career, he has fought for the, if you like, the outsider for the for the for the dispossessed in society do you think he makes some kind of distinction in his mind or or subconsciously then about jewish people look you'd have to i think it'd be an interesting question to ask him really because i don't think he's accounted for or explained his sort of views on these issues i think he's got a blind spot i think generally actually when the media try and question jeremy corbyn about anything that he's not happy with these sort of snaps at them. He can't handle difficult questions. He never does tough interviews. When was the last time you went on the Today programme or sat down with Andrew Neil? You know, he got, you know, he thinks the media are conspiracy against him. <laughs> Look, he thinks the media are against him, the civil service are against him. Um, the serious point you make, though, is, look, our campaign against homelessness Right, there's nobody in Dudley who's worked harder than I have to try, and, to try and deal with the scandal of people sleeping rough on the streets of our town. I was the Minister of Homelessness in the last Labour government when we pretty much eradicated rough sleeping. I mean, I'm not saying completely, but people didn't have to sleep out for more than one night. And that was, I mean, across the country pretty, pretty. There were a few hot spots in East Anglia or whatever, um, but in Peterborough, I think. But, the, but by and large, it certainly wasn't the problem that it is now. I fight for jobs for people, decent jobs for people, every day of the week, to open up opportunity for people in places like Dudley, who, who I don't think get a fair crack of the whip. So I don't think... I mean, there isn't a contradiction between standing up for people who need a fair crack of the whip and getting embroiled in a scandal of racism against Jewish people. I mean, these things are not... I mean, they're not sort of... They don't go hand in hand, you know. 
how much of an emotional wrench was it, though, to oh, leave the Labour thing. Party? Look, I joined the Labour Party at the age of 18. This has been my life. I mean, this has been, apart from the relationship with my parents, the longest thing, you know, in my life. And, um, and I've worked hard for the Labour Party at sort of branch level as a volunteer, in a constituency. I was a member of staff. I was a special advisor in the last Labour government. I was a local councillor here in Dudley. And the immense privilege of being the MP for the town I grew up in and being a government minister, I mean, so the Labour Party has given me a huge amount and I've, and I've worked hard for the Labour Party in return. But in the end, what's the most important thing in politics? I think it's your values and your beliefs. And if you're not prepared to stand up on something that's really fundamental, like racism, what are you going to stand up about? You know, people, I mean, how many people join the Labour Party because they want to get Britain into a single European market? Right. Not many. How many people join the Labour Party because they're appalled about racism? Thousands. This is fundamental for me. And I think in the end, you've got to do everything you can to solve this problem. That's why I had to leave. I didn't leave because I'm not Labour. I left because I'm Labour. Right. I, I grew up in this town listening to people in the Labour Party here in Dudley, and I learned important values from them, fairness, decency, tolerance, standing up to racism, standing up to extremism. You know, and it was those values that led to me joining the Labour Party, and it was those values that led to me leaving it. When you left, at uh, the same time as a number yeah. of other MPs left, mm -hmm. not only the Labour Party, you've mentioned yeah. Luciana Berger, but also a number of Conservative MPs quit their party. Yeah. All of them, by you, joined the yeah. independent group. You didn't, yeah. because you had a disagreement with them over their stance on Brexit? Well, I didn't leave the Labour Party to join another political party. That was the first thing. I left the, I left the Labour Party to shine a spotlight on what was happening and to demand that other people stepped up and did something about it. That's why I left. And that was very clearly the reason I left. So I didn't join to join another political party. So the, the Brexit thing was completely secondary. Um, but, I mean, I'm not in favour of another referendum and all of that. Which is what the independent yeah. group of MPs yeah. were, the yeah. group of MPs yeah. who quit their parties. Yeah. And you say you're not in favour of a second referendum. Mm -hmm. You are a Remainer. You voted to remain mm -hmm. in the referendum, but you're explicitly standing against that. Well, I, I did vote to stay in in the referendum, but I accept the result of the referendum as well. And, um, and I stood on a manifesto at the last election which said that we would respect the results of the referendum and we'd uphold it and we'd get a deal to leave the EU. Now, I, I repeated that promise to people in Dudley and I keep the promises I make. I respect the people I represent and I keep the promises I make. And so, I've, you know, that I've, and so I voted for the, the Prime Minister's deal in, uh, in Parliament. And, um, and I did that because in the end, I think if you're going to leave and if you're going to leave with a deal, I mean, there's not an easy way through this, but it's not the worst deal you could imagine. And actually, if you look at Keir Starmer's tests, insofar as they were written not to be failed. These were the Labour Party's yeah, yeah. six tests exactly, for yeah. whether they would back uh, a deal yeah, on, yeah. on Brexit. It, look, it basically meets all of them, apart from the one which says the exact same benefits, which no deal was ever... I mean, if you believe in being in the EU, no deal was ever going to reach that. So basically, it was, as, it was a deal that should have satisfied... Labour MPs who were prepared to accept the result and honour the commitment that had been made in the, uh, in the manifesto. Now, look, it would have been easy for me to vote against it because I, it was obviously going to be defeated, going to be defeated by a massive majority. You were Parliament. one of only three Labour MPs yeah, yeah, who was, voted for it. I was, but look, I... And I could have pretended to people in Dudley who were against the deal because they want to leave with no deal. 
or people in Dudley who want to stay in the EU and are against the deal. I could have pretended to all of them that I agree with them. But in the end, I think you've got to tell people the truth. And I thought that... And look, I want to avoid leaving with no deal because I think that would be very damaging for manufacturing businesses in an area like the black country. And I don't think we should have a second referendum because I'm concerned about the impact that would have on trust in our democracy and our, our sort of and trust in the way our political system works. So if you want to avoid leaving with no deal and you, want to, and you don't think a second referendum is the answer, you've got to vote for a deal. So that's why I voted for it. And I think it was the right thing to do. Interestingly, a number of Labour MPs are now saying, I wish I voted for it. And I would vote for it if we, if we had the chance again. Let's see what happens. I think, look, I think what, what underpins this? Why do people here in Dudley vote 70% to leave? Why do people in the potteries, the coal mining areas, the shipbuilding communities, um, the former fishing ports, why do they all vote massively to leave? And I think a, a lot of that is because they're angry about the way the country's run. They're angry about what's happened to the economy and to jobs and industries in their area. You think about think about this here in the 1970s. Black country made manufacturing, made the West Midlands the richest place in Britain. Output per, per capita was greater here than in London and the South East. What's happened in a generation? We've lost all those jobs. There's been this huge shift to services. We've not managed to attract new jobs and new industries to replace the ones that we had. People in the black country and in the potteries are angry about, and areas like that are angry about that. This was their opportunity to have their voice heard. Um, now, whether you agree or disagree with the conclusion they arrived at, we had a referendum. They made the decision. We promised to uphold it. And I think you've got to find a way through that. You've, and when the country's divided, 52-48, you've got to find a compromise. That's why I voted for the deal. And I think the, th the thing that really worries me about all this is, look at what's happened to the Labour Party five years ago. Who could have predicted that an institution as important to our democracy and as robust and strong as the Labour Party could have been so vulnerable to what I regard as sort of extremism? And I think that, I think we've always had a, I've always thought, oh, Britain, you know, we're not like these other countries, we don't succumb to fascism, we don't succumb to extremism. You know, in the 1930s, when Germany or Italy uh, followed fascists, you know, in Britain, I've always thought, you know, if someone dresses up in a uniform, they, people laugh at them and they think they look like a bus conductor. So, you know, I've, so I think, but I think what's happened in the Labour Party shows that we can't be complacent about these things. And with the growth of populism on the right and the left and around the world, I think mainstream politicians have got to be really careful about nurturing confidence in our political institutions. And I'm really worried that, and it's not, look, I fight extremism every day of the week. What I'm worried about is the confidence that ordinary decent people in places like the black country have got in our political system. Does parliament work? Do politicians keep, the tr keep their promises? Can our political system be trusted to do what it promised it would? And I think once you undermine people's confidence in questions like that, I think it's very difficult to win it back. And if that confidence were to be lost, if, for example, we had a second referendum, which you argue would undermine faith mm. in the democratic process, what do you fear the outcome could be? People are cynical enough about the political process without politicians, 80% of whom were elected on promises to uphold the, manner, the, the result of the referendum, without them, you know, without a, a parliament turning its back on that decision and doing something completely different. One final question, mm -hmm. Ian, and it's a personal one, yeah. if you don't mind. Your father passed away yeah. a couple of months mm -hmm. ago. 
as you've described, he was yeah. a, a refugee to this yeah. country from the Nazis. Yeah. What did he make of your decision to quit the Labour Party on the grounds that you felt yeah. it had become an anti-Semitic okay. party at the top? Well, look, he never told me what to do, but I rang him up the night before I was going to leave. And I said to him, Dad, I've decided to leave the Labour Party. And he said to me, he said, he said, I thought you would do this. And it's the right decision. And then he died, actually, after going. He went off on a, a long cruise. But before he went on the cruise, I drove him to Gatwick to get the flight. And he said to me, as we were driving down, so it's our last conversation. And he said, I want you to know, he said, he said, I love you very much, and I'm really proud of you. And he said, and I really agree with all the decisions you've taken. That's what he said. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thanks, Adrian. Ian Austin. Now, I did contact the Labour Party and invited them to respond to the comments made in this podcast. They said... Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party are fully committed to the support, defence and celebration of the Jewish community and implacably opposed to anti-Semitism in any form. There has been a deeply worrying rise in anti-Semitism in the UK and across Europe. We have strengthened our procedures and increased the rate at which anti-Semitism cases have been dealt with fourfold. As recently released data showed, anti-Semitism complaints received over a period of 10 months related to about 0.1% of our membership, but one anti-Semite is one too many. We are determined to tackle anti-Semitism and root it out of our party. This podcast is funded entirely by listeners like you. If you'd like to support it, go to patreon.com slash Adrian Goldberg's talk show. Thanks. <laughs>